here. Um, we're in Shemot, and um, so I'll read this little part of the verse here. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the Israelite people are, are much too numerous for us. Let us deal shrewdly with them so that they may not increase. Otherwise, in the event of war, they may join our enemies in fighting against us and rise from the ground. So they set taskmasters, taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built garrison cities for Pharaoh, Pithom and Ramses. And so the shot of this is um, you know, obviously, you know, the children of Israel were there in Egypt, and um, you know, the, the Pharaoh and, and Yosef passed away, and a new leadership came up, and they didn't know, they didn't know um, what what Yosef did for Egypt, and they or they didn't care, and they just um, started um, making the making the uh, Israelites slaves, essentially. And they gave them hard work, and and made seems seems like they were building bricks and things, so they were building making buildings and stuff using their labor. Um, and this, this, this um, slavery was prophesied um, way ahead of time by, uh, to, to Avraham. So Hashem talked to Avraham um, many years before and said, your, your descendants will be slaves, but then they will be set free. So it was like a, it was a prophecy already that came, that, that came true, but it was many, many years and people might have, may have heard the prophecy, but they, they were just, you know, it was so long ago that they probably didn't maybe not believe it anymore or something. Um, so, it, you know, it was a long time away. We tend to diminish the great suffering and sorrow that preceded our people's redemption. Sometimes when we're, you know, we're doing the Pesach and we, we think of how we came out of Egypt. But, um, you know, we have a few things in the Pesach that teach us, you know, how hard it was, the bitter herbs and, and, and the chaset and um, the matzah, but um, it probably does, still doesn't do it justice of what the suffering they had they had endured there in Egypt. Um, so sometimes we, I mean, we can't really relate because we've never had that experience. So we try our best, but there's still some things missing, right? So um, then, uh, then the sages have something to say about this. They said, whenever Israel was enslaved, the divine presence, as it were, is enslaved with them. As it is said, and they saw the God of Israel and under his feet, the likeness of bricks. But after they were redeemed, what does it say? Like the very sky for purity. As it says, in all their troubles, he was troubled. Isaiah 63 verse 9. And it says, your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nation and its God. Second Samuel 7 verse 23. Rabbi Akiva said, were it not written explicitly in scripture, it would be impossible to say it. It is as if Israel said to God, you redeemed yourself. Thus we, we find that whenever Israel was exiled, the divine presence, as it were, was exiled with them. As it is said, I was exiled to your father's house when they were in Egypt. That's in 1 Samuel 2 verse 27. And when they will return in the future, the divine presence, as it were, will return with them. As it is said, then the Lord your God will return with you. 
Deuteronomy 30, verse 3. When, when the sages interpreted the story of the enslavement of Egypt over a thousand years later, they did not forget the suffering. Um, so they were, you know, they were, you know, this, this part, this, I guess, Midrash um, and some teachings by Akiba kind of teaches us that, um, that Shem is with us. Shem, Shem is with us in the good and the bad. Um, and, and his, you know, his uh, empathy is so strong that he's almost, that it is almost like he's there with us, you know? I mean, we, we have empathy within, within ourselves, within, among other people, but I think Hashem's empathy is, is beyond what we can do or comprehend. You know, I think it really is like he is there with, with them. Whenever we're suffering, he is there. You know? um, he feels our suffering. He knows our suffering um, just as if he was suffering. Um, so, you know, Rabbi Akiva taught this. God, God was actually suffering, suffering along with Israel wherever that, whenever that was happening. You know? um, and, and this is where they get this teaching of God as a suffering God. And God, in, God is enslaved and in exile. And when we celebrate our redemption, as we do in Passover, we're actually, actually celebrating um, God's redemption as well. And I mean, it seems blasphemous to, to, to speak of God as being a slave, but, you know, um, Rabbi Akiva still, you know, thought it very important to teach this. But he also would also say, um, as it were, so it's kind of like this term of, um, right, metaphor, yeah, metaphor. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so I already talked about how God, God, God has this special empathy, empathy beyond our, our comprehension. Um, so then the rab, rabbi, um, rabbi Hammer wanted to connect it with, with a more um, um, recent issue, like a more recent uh, affliction or painful thing that happened to us, which is the Holocaust. So then he, he tried to connect, connect it to then, you know, because sometimes we were like, why, why, why? We always ask, I mean, obviously we're going to ask that why and um you know some some will say there it was a punishment but um rabbi hammer's like no it wasn't a punishment it was just um you know the holocaust was just um just to have it was just kind of showing how bad people can be essentially you know? um and, and and hashem he feels like he could picture hashem there with us you know he was being um tortured and enduring the Holocaust along with us. Um, um, it's, 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 it's a hard thing to deal with, you know, but, um, it, you know, you, 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 that, that's the only thing we can kind of connect it with, the slavery, the slavery of Egypt, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's much more of a, of a connection. I mean, some people want to connect it with, um, the exile, but I don't think it was the same as the exile. It seems like it's closer to like the slavery of Egypt. Um, and so, I mean, that's what Rabbi Hammer was saying. And then I have this quote, then he quotes um, um, Avraham Joshua Heschel, who said, um, history is the arena in which the will of God is defined. Um, so we see the will of God. Oh, 
throughout history. We don't, it's, sometimes we don't see it in an immediate thing in a, in a short term, but when we see the all of history, we see Hashem's will. And um, this last quote, the Holocaust was not God's punishment of the Jews. It was the result of human beings defying God's rules and God's will. Indeed, in all our troubles, he was troubled. So I'll leave it there. Leave it with that quote there. Um, I mean, there's many teachings that you can give on this portion. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he kind of picked that very, very first part of it. Because, yeah. um, you know, Moshe, the whole story of Moshe, he didn't even really mention it. So he got, I'm thinking he's going to do that. Um, so does anybody else have Drosh? Okay. So, uh, you know, my focus too is like we've been at the beginning of the portion. Um, and Jonathan Sachs has a great, a great essay on this. But um, in general, you know, we, we have a genocide that's happening that uh, Pharaoh's, you know, bringing on the, the Hebrew children. And, you know, you see the response of these midwives and on top of that as, as well as Pharaoh's own daughter. And there's different views, you know, some people think that uh, whether they were just of the nations or whether they were converts or something like that. Um, I mean, on the, on the midwife standpoint, you know, most, I think a lot of people think that it's Hebrew midwives but the phrase there is actually uh, which can mean either Hebrew midwives or the midwives to the Hebrews. And that's how uh, the Abarbanel in Spain understood it, as well as the Shamdal Samuel David Luzato. And Luzato's explanation is pretty simple. It's could Pharaoh realistically have expected Hebrew women to murder their, their own people's children? And it makes more sense when you read back what he tells the midwives. The midwives, it says that they feared God and they did not do what the Egyptian king had commanded. They allowed the infant boys to live. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why did, why did you do this? You let the boys live. The midwives replied, the Hebrew women are not like Egyptians. They know how to deliver. They can give birth before the midwife gets to them. So, you know, it sounds like they're saying, no, the Hebrews are different, you know. And so... Uh, this essay that Sachs puts out is called Civil Disobedience because, you know, it's going in, in certain times, you know, you, there are basic human rights and especially with humankind being made in the image of God, uh, you know, any rights that essentially are harmful to humanity are essentially the morality is higher than your civil laws you know it doesn't matter i know we're told to obey the law of the land and everything like that but i think people get caught up a lot of times they're like oh well this is this is it's a hard case i can't find anything like kind of torah-ish or something to grab onto to really want to be disobedient but you know these things there are times when this is necessary and you know in, in history we have obviously the holocaust and we have um, but in terms of a, a landmark laws that were made, or at least codes, were like the, the Nuremberg codes, the trials that happen, when it's like, you know, you can't, no, no experimental things, and, and the saying that I was only obeying orders is, is not really a good defense. And so moral laws are higher than those of the state. You know, crimes against humanity re remain crimes, whatever the law of the land or the order, orders of the government, and 
you know, their instructions, one is morally bound to disobey when civil disobedience is the necessary response. And so, you know, when, even when God confronts, has Moshe confront Pharaoh, he says to him, my son, my firstborn Israel, my first, you know, and he's, he's basically announcing to the most powerful ruler of the, of the world that they may be your slaves, but they're my children. You know, and when it comes to the view of humankind, of humanity, it goes higher. And I actually like to believe that Pharaoh's daughter wasn't a Jewish, wasn't a Hebrew convert or something, and that these were just Gentiles, because it shows really the, the goodness that is at the core of every human being, that, uh, you know, we can all sense when something's wrong, and we should all stand up and, and stand up for it, you know, and um, one thing that gets me too is the fact that they, I've, I've talked to a lot of people lately with, you know, things that are going on in the world, and a lot of their response is, I don't think you should move forward with what you're doing. I think you should take your money and put it into self-sustaining and building your own thing and doing, you know, something separate, you know, like, and just kind of, you know, that. And I, my mindset is like, well, what are you going to do differently though? Like, how, what, how does anything help anything or, or change anything? These midwives didn't do that. The midwives were like, we're going to stay midwives, but we're going to not do this thing that they want us to do. I'm going to try to keep doing that, you know? And that's where I, I encourage people, you know, don't just up and quit your job. Don't just up and do these, this thing. Try to have an impact. Because sometimes you're sometimes just playing a game of chicken. And so the greatest cap to this entire story is that at the end it says that, you know, that God rewarded them by giving them houses, right? And this would really be, these mid, a lot of times when people were midwives, either because they, they couldn't have children themselves. So what's amazing is that even in this, this practical goodness and these things that they're doing and standing up for, they're rewarded with children of their own, houses of their own, you know? So obviously we see in this entire portion, the struggle with Moshe and I'm a man of few, I just, I can't really speak and I'll, I'll, I'll give you words, I'll give you your brother words, I'll give you whatever you need. You're gonna be able to do this stuff. And even at first, you know, it's, they're going to come harder at you, but stand and do what you need to do. And at the end of the day, God will vindicate you and you'll be rewarded. So may we all be able to stand up for, you know, basic human rights in this time. Uh, more and more as it grows darker. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. You have one, Dick? Uh, yeah. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Now it came to pass in those days that Moses grew up and won't and went out to his brothers and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man of his brothers. He turned this way and that way, and he saw that there was no man. So he struck the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out on the second day and behold, two Hebrew men were quarreling. And he said to the wicked one, why are you going to strike your friend? And he retorted, who made you a man, a prince and a judge over us? Do you plan to slay me as you have slain the Egyptian? Moses became frightened and said, Indeed, the matter has become known. 
Pharaoh heard of this incident, and he sought to slay Moses. So Moses fled from before Pharaoh. He stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. When Moshe struck the Egyptian, he should have trusted that Hashem would protect him from Pharaoh's harm. But because Moshe didn't, he lost his chance of Hashem's protection. Pharaoh found out, and he sought to slay him. If Moshe, if Moshe had chose to trust in Hashem instead of being afraid, nothing would have happened. Pharaoh might not, Pharaoh might not have heard about what Moses about what Moshe did, and Moshe would have fled, wouldn't have to flee out of Egypt because of a death threat. This teaches us that when we face a challenge in fulfilling a divine task, we should remember that we can attain Hashem's help by simply trusting that He will help us. The more confident we are that Hashem will help us, the more willing Hashem will be to help us. But still, remember that believing that Hashem will help doesn't mean that we shouldn't do what we can to solve the problem. We should make sure that we take as many natural steps we can until the problem is solved. The sages say that because the Israelites had complete faith in Hashem, they were heard and Hashem brought them out from Egypt. Because of this, we can say that trusting Hashem to save us will urge him to redeem us from our current problems and even better, redeem us, redeem us from our present exile. <laughs> I just love um, the story, the, the, the books of Genesis and Exodus. They're just so rich with um, very personal um, uh, connections. Now, um, the sages always give a lot of um, credit to the women of the Bible, even if it's not very obvious. The sages make it seem like uh, women are heroes in so many instances, and uh, including including in Shemot, this Torah portion. So um, there were three things that um, the Pharaoh tried to do in order to put Israel down. And um, it didn't seem like the Pharaoh really hated Israelites so much because he let one live in his, in his palace, in his home. I think it was more like uh, how one feels about an ant. Like you don't dislike ants, but you just don't want them in their home. And you don't want too many of them in your home because they're gonna eat all your food. So they were like a pest, you know? You just, you know, and just like an ant, you just, you know, kill it if, 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 if it's annoying you. So, but Pharaoh sought um, to do this with three ways. One was, the first was affliction with hard labor. And we see that we see that today with our governments. Um, you know, I believe that uh, the, the, the reason um, for a lot of the crime and the demoralization and the lack of faith in our world today is because, you know, in our society, um, it's, been, it's been made common for the woman to be too busy to take care of her, her child. And then so, you know, we set up these things called public schools and we send our children away to strangers to be raised by them for eight hours or more per day. But the, but the Torah says, you should teach these words to your children when you rise up and when you lie down. There's no such thing as public school in the whole entire Bible until, until Daniel, until the book of Daniel, 
when the Israelites are help, are taken into captivity and you know are subjugated, and that's when there's this concept of letting secular godless people train up your children. It was never willingly. And even the public schools in America, the reason for them in the first place was because godly people started co-ops in order to teach their children to teach their children how to read so that they could read the Bible. That was the original purpose of public school. And in, in terms of how to um, you know, make a living, that was typically taught at home. And the children learned um, the trade of their father, or maybe they would go to work with someone, a tradesman, another tradesman, you know, or an apprenticeship or something like that. But that was the original way. That was the way of the Israelites. And that was the way of early America. And so, you know, we talk about a lot today about how we're against socialism. Well, there are already so many things that we have accepted that are very socialistic and that seek to take our children away from, from God and away from the original intention. I'm, I'm not saying that you can't raise a godly, godly child in public school. A lot of people have to do that for various reasons. And godly, godly parents have done that successfully because they, you know, they, they see that, you know, that they must supplement their child's public school with their own, their own uh, learning and their own instruction and their own guidance. So I'm not trying to, you know, cast blame or, or guilt on, on, on people who have to put their children in public school. But I'm trying to say that there is an overall attack, just like there was an attack by Pharaoh to take our children away from us. There's also attack by this government. So that was the first thing, affliction with hard labor, hard labor, the standard of living. They, you know, he wanted the standard of living to be so high that, you know, the, the, the children of Israel were so disheartened that they didn't even want to have children. And the Midrash says that the women were the heroes in this instance. And what they would do is the men were, became so disheartened with all their hard work that they were too tired uh, to have relations with their wives. And therefore they had no energy to produce children. Um, but also they were also discouraged in that you know, they didn't want to bring children into this world where they were slaves. But uh, the Midrash and, and Jewish legends, I think it's even in the Talmud, says that the women of Israel, they would, they would strengthen themselves and they would, um, they, would, they would make food for their, their family at home and they would make food for their, their, their husbands in their workplace and they would deliver it to them and they would have relations with them in the field while they were working. And, and, and they would say, don't worry, this is just for a while this hardship, this slavery that we're experiencing, it's only for a while because Hashem has promised us. He said he would make us mighty and that he would make us numerous. And so the Jewish women took it into their own hands to um, not only believe in the blessings, but act on those promises. Oh, Hashem promised me a great nation. Therefore, we must keep having children. The times may be hard now, but this isn't gonna last forever. And then he instructed the midwives to kill the newborn males. And this is, there's also a parallel in our world today. These midwives were supposed to help bring life into the world, but instead they were commissioned to kill life. It's the same thing with doctors and nurses today. The, the doctors and nurses that are supposed to help nourish and, and heal people and help bring children into the world 
are being instructed to vaccinate and, and um, perform abortions. In Israel, there's a very, they, they, they pay doctors and nurses extra. They, they pay them extra to vaccinate people because many are not willing to do so because they see the consequences of what's happening through the vaccines. Um, so they have, they, they, they bribe them just like Pharaoh bri bribed the midwives um, in Egypt. And um, finally, it's very interesting. It says that we, when, when Pharaoh saw that the midwives were unwilling to kill, to kill them, um, that he commissioned all of Israel um, to do the job. And so, uh, sorry, all, all, all of Egypt to do the job of killing, uh, of killing the baby boys, babies. And that's what's happening right now today in our governments. Um, you know, I was, I was on a podcast interview and we started getting political, even though I don't like to. And he said, why are they doing this? Why are they trying to turn the, unvac the, the vaccinated against the unvaccinated? And the prime minister of Israel is doing that right now. He told the vaccinated in Israel to, to, to um, hate their brothers and you know, to try to force them. Um, and it's the same thing that Pharaoh was doing. Um, you know, the, th the, 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 the stories of the Bible keep happening in, in almost every single generation, whether on a small scale or on a grand scale or even a global scale, like it's happening right now. So um, I know it's hard to do what, you know, Khalil is doing and fight, fighting in the legal, legal front, but someone has to do it. So if, if we don't have the opportunity or if we can't for any reason, I believe that we should not discourage others for being, for being brave and standing up. It may seem scary, but you know, when um, there's a midrash that um, when Pharaoh issued the decree for all the, for all the Israelite children to, um, to, be, to be thrown into the river, that many of the men, many of the husbands in Israel divorced their wives because they didn't want to commit the sin of killing a baby. So they're like, okay, we're just gonna stop having relations and we're just gonna divorce them. And then it paints Miriam as a prophetess, as, an, as a hero. And she rebuked her father. And this is why I often let my children rebuke me because I never know. Maybe God is speaking through them, you know? God speaks through babes oftentimes. And so, um, so uh, um, Miriam rebuked her father and she said, you are, you are committing a double sin because Pharaoh only decreed that the baby boys would die, but you are decreeing that neither baby boy nor, nor baby girl would, 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 would see light. And so at this, at this rebuke, um, um, he, he remarried. And then there's this whole there's this whole other midrash again also that um, that when he when he remarried his his wife she was already pregnant and that she and she and that God miraculously made her like a virgin again <laughs> and um, and that um, it was like it was like it was like a, the miraculous birth of Yeshua and Rabbi would argue that that the that the that the Talmud is just trying to copy the gospel um, because it was written after the gospels. And then of course, some Jews would say, no, you know, we had it first and, and you know, the gospels copied us or whatever. It doesn't matter. We can't, we, can't, we can't prove it either way. It really doesn't matter. 
Um, but what what but we can what we can say from these these midrashim and these legends is that the, the idea of a virgin birth is not foreign to Judaism. And um, anyways, so yeah, women can be awesome and um, we shouldn't lose heart and we should do what we can. Gregor would like to point out that this Torah was written like many centuries before, like there's women's rights and all this stuff. And, and it pointed out a lot oftentimes how, how important women are in everything. So it was advanced for its time. Even now, it's still it's somewhat advanced, even our time, which is kind of crazy. So, all right, let's um, turn to page 77. That's the door. <laughs> 